All right. Hey, so glad that y'all are here. Welcome, welcome. If you're with us watching on the uh, live stream, I want to say a special hello and welcome to you. We know that lots of folks will check us out on our live stream before they show up in the room. And uh, anybody here think it's probably better in the room? Like, you know, yeah? Okay, so we want you. Come and join us when you're ready. There's some fun people in the house. So, all right, here, um, let me pray and then let's get rolling. Father, thank you that you're good, that you're with us. Um, Jesus, thank you that you have given us, uh, who follow you, you've given us, um, you've entrusted us with being your light in this world. You have chosen to work through and partner with us as the people of God. Um, Sometimes I wonder why, but God, you know what you're doing. And so we are grateful for the honor of being the people of God. Um, Help us now to grapple with and look at the teaching of Jesus in ways that might bring more freedom to both our own selves and to our own families and to the world and community around us. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. Well, hey, in old Roman ruins... Uh, archaeologists have discovered tons of these ancient prayers from a couple thousand years ago that people would actually pay someone to write these down, inscribe them on stone or something else. They'd write them down and then they would store them and they are called curse tablets. Curse tablets, uh, here's an example of one right here. And the reason they're called curse tablets is because the, the most common kind of prayer that were recorded on all of these as they translate them and look back, most common kind of prayer by far were curses. Uh, and so people um, in cultures, uh, ancient cultures, they would address you know, their god or their goddess, uh, especially in the Greek and Roman cultures, they would say something like, well, you know, this, this person hurt me. Here's how they hurt me, and I want pay to, payback. And I want you to hurt them, inflict pain on them, and here's how I want you to do that. And that's how these curse tablets would work. One of these cursing tablets um, was excavated. One of them reads this. Docetimedius has lost two gloves. He asks that the person who has stolen them <clears throat> should, two things, lose his mind and his eyes in the place of the temple where the goddess appoints. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, no matter how much you love your gloves, does that not seem a little tad extreme, right? So, now, um, I'm going to read another one a little longer that was found in ancient Rome, and I'm not making this up, okay? This is somebody's prayer back then to one of their gods or goddesses, and here, here's how it reads. This is even just part of the long one they inscribed. Uh, here's, what they, here's what they had recorded and prayed. I invoke you, holy angels and holy names, tie up, block, strike, overthrow, harm, destroy, kill, and shatter Eucharos, the charioteer, and all of his horses tomorrow in the arena of Rome. Let the starting gates not open properly. Let him not compete quickly. Let him not pass. Let him not make the turn properly. Let him not receive the honors. Let him not squeeze and overpower. Let him not come from behind and pass. But instead, let him collapse. Let him be bound. Let him be broken up. Let him drag behind both in the early races and in the later races, in case they were confused, right? Um, now, now, quickly, quickly, and, and let his breath be bad and his teeth not be dazzling white. Um, okay, that last line wasn't in there, but, but the rest of them, right, those were all in there. And this guy here, and the thing that's recorded, the prayer, he's praying down a curse, asking his 
gods, essentially saying, hey, this guy over here, he hurt me, he's my enemy, so you hurt him back, I hate him, okay? Just like get even for me, that's the prayer. And in fact, as they excavate these prayer tablets, this category, the, the cursing prayers, is the most common kind of prayer that was recorded on those tablets in the ancient world where they worshipped gods and goddesses, a cursed tablet, which, which um, the person that was kind of looking through all the stuff on this, he, he wondered, you know, what about another category? I wonder, so if there's a cursed tablet, is there like a bless my enemy tablet, right? A prayer to the Roman gods that would say, you know, Eucharos hurt me badly. Would you deliver me from my resentment? Would you help Eucharos to find genuine repentance? Would you forgive his sin and mine? Would you heal our relationship? Um, and, and how many bless my enemy tablets do you think that they have found so far in Greek and Roman ruins? Anyone? Yeah, zero, nada, none, right? None at all. People did not pray prayers like that to Zeus, to Zeus, um, John Ortberg points out, back in that world, here's how it worked. Fierce loyalty to your friends and fierce opposition to your enemies, that's what was considered to be noble. The gods were there to help you get what you want, and when you got hurt, what you wanted was to get even. So that's the picture of the world and how it worked in the broader culture, where then at that same time period, this carpenter from a tiny insignificant village called Nazareth began laying a countercultural foundation that would change the world. J Jesus taught things uh, like this, which is our primary text for today. Jesus taught uh, out of Matthew 5, you have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And they had all heard that, by the way. Every religion seemed fine with love your neighbor, hate your enemy, right? But now Jesus changes it. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. See, anger, hurt, bitterness, pain, resentment are powerful forces and have always been in our world. Nobody sitting in this room gets a free pass. Um, and, and honestly, when people oppose us, um, we, we can quickly land them in that enemy category, um, even if we're too refined to admit that we would have an enemy. <laughs> there are people that we strongly disagree with that we treat as enemies, so same thing. <laughs> They're enemies to us. And Jesus knows that that sort of destructive pattern is at the core of what keeps our world divided. It keeps people from experiencing peace. Um, the word shalom, if you're familiar with it, right? It keeps us from shalom, and it actually gives the real enemy, the devil, space from which to build strongholds in our world and in our lives, it's, it, it's what Jesus was getting at, again, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where he pushed that envelope of who is my neighbor that I have to love. Like, Jesus extended the boundaries of who our neighbor is all the way out to our enemies. Yeah. See, like we've been talking about in our series um, the last month or so, Love Your Fill-in-the-Blank Neighbor. Um, Jesus, back in that culture, where this idea of neighbor 
was so narrow that it was focused on, well, a neighbor is someone like me who believes like me, looks like me, thinks like me. That's a neighbor. Jesus comes into that mindset, and, and then with the story of the Good Samaritan, in case there was any doubt from what Jesus had taught already before, in that story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus blows open the floodgates and says, essentially, you know who God wants you guys to realize your neighbor is? He's saying to his crowd and to us, it's, it's the person. It's the person you can't stand. It's the person that does not like you. It's the person who is your rival. It's the person who has wounded you. It's the person that you strongly disagree with. And Jesus says, if you claim to love God or be the people of God, then your definition of neighbor actually needs to include all the way out to your enemy. In the end, essentially, again, Jesus is saying, you know who your neighbor is? It's everyone, (laughs) even your enemy. And do you know what you need to do and what he calls us to do is to love everyone always. Jesus just, he teaches on this stuff all the time, very practical and difficult stuff, because apparently Jesus believed that loving our enemies was a crucial part of reconciling our broken world. And he trusted us, if we are his followers, he trusts us to partner with him to do it. And just like we said last week, he never said it would be easy to love our enemies. He never said it'd be easy. He just said it would work. To love your neighbor, love your enemy, to love everyone always, that's the invitation that he lays in front of us. But it's so hard, isn't it? Especially in our culture, it feels really hard. Like you flip on the news and there's all this negativity where, where everything just kind of pushes us back to that primitive, archaic, intolerant view of the world, of the word neighbor. It tries to sandwich us in and divide us so that we start thinking, yeah, yeah, we need to protect our own and the people like us. We need to protect the ideas and values and beliefs that we share. But remember, into that kind of voice, Jesus is still whispering to you and to me, come on. Come on, man, trust me. Trust me. This is the way to change the world, to love your enemy neighbor. (laughs) And that will blow people's minds. So will you trust me? Will you move that way instead of the way the current of our world tries to pull us? Which is just part of why today... Uh, In our series, we specifically came back again to what we started last week, Love Your Enemy Neighbor, part two, very creative, part two. (laughs) Now, because sometimes we, or I, like to avoid this question of, you know, well, who then specifically is my enemy? And we think, well, I don't have any enemies. I want to kind of define the word enemy a little bit here. Um, An enemy is also, I mean, there's more to it than this, but for today's purposes, an enemy is someone that I treat as an opponent. Like, I doubt that their intentions are good. I want them silenced, marginalized, ignored. I want their cause to fail, their influence to be cut off, at least contained maybe from the people that I'm around, um, I treat them as an enemy because we strongly disagree. And that's the category of enemy I want to look at today. The people that we treat as enemies because we disagree 
which actually puts them into the category of neighbor that, that Jesus was getting at in his story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, because the Samaritans, if you've been with us in the series, you know already, you've heard this, that Samaritans and Jews disagreed vehemently on many things, so they were enemies. And most of their disagreements had to do with um, religious disagreements. Some were political disagreements. And aren't you glad that in our day we don't do that anymore? We don't make enemies out of political or you know, religious differences, right? Yeah. <clears throat> So a question for us then, um, already preloaded you with a couple of categories here, right? Uh, what are some common types of enemies we tend to have today in our culture because of disagreements? Um, you know, people that we see as enemies because we disagree with them. So just take 30 seconds, turn to somebody next to you, and just name one or two. What are some of those categories, enemies that we tend to have today because we disagree on our point of view? So just go ahead, turn to the person next to you. Lean across the aisle. Tim, you can just wave to Dalton up here, sitting by himself. All right, I think we got a few. Uh, start over here. Just yell out, what's a, what's a category of, of enemy that we have, a type of enemy because of disagreements? Anybody over here on this side? Um, my, my mom and my wife are talking, so we'll leave them alone. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for just saying that. Uh, huh? You're not fighting. Okay, they're not enemies. This is good. Oh, in-laws we could have gone with, but, but that's not true in our family, but, you know, some of you. Yeah. What else? Anything? What are some enemy categories? Bad neighbors. Diff yes, <laughs> I know about that. Um, anybody in the middle here want to yell out? What are some categories? Michelle, what? Parenting. Parenting neighbors? Yes, okay. Mom and oh, there we go. That could be. We could go deep on that one. Okay, how, anybody else over here in the middle? Generational enemies. Yes, that can be. How about right here in this pocket? Yes, sir. Popularity enemies because of the popularity. Yeah, anybody back here? Work, ooh, work enemies. Anybody back here? What's that? We'll say it again. Yeah, Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, so political enemies. I know, but like, shh, 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 quiet, quiet. We don't get that honest around here. Say it again, what? Vikings and Packers, yes. Those are true categories of enemies. Yeah, that's it right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether you call it soda or pop. Now these, yeah, you could really have an enemy over that one. <laughs> oh, all right, so, um, yeah, Apple versus, uh, what's the other thing? What's the other one? Android, thank you. So you can tell which one I use. Okay, um, so, <laughs> so that is a, a big kind of question, these, these categories that we make, you know. A lot of times it's uh, people are enemies, we disagree, and so relationships go wrong. We have the political enemies, like we have religious belief enemies, like uh, we get at each other's throats. And um, actually what's been interesting is when I started writing this message, I had kind of highlighted a few different ones that I wanted to just ask some questions about. And I mostly came back to just one because I have been thinking a lot about our, and I'm going to put quotes around this, air quotes, Christian enemies um, as in how we often, sadly, in the church, tend to treat um, our 
Christians we disagree with, we oftentimes tend to treat them as enemies. Even if we wouldn't call them on our enemies, um, if you want to see people attack each other uh, that are under the label Christian, just throw out a, like a theological topic online somewhere and watch it go. It is insanity, and it must be so like bizarre to people that don't follow Jesus to wonder why we quibble about some of the things that we quibble about. You know, isn't it strange inside the body of Christ, um, how quickly we can turn other Christians, those with different perspectives or beliefs, into our enemies. Where, where, where I can treat someone as my opponent, where I start to doubt their intentions are good, and I want them silenced, marginalized, and ignored. Like, I want their cause to fail, their influence to be cut off or contained at least away from the people I'm around. <laughs> and so I can, we can, oftentimes treat people as our enemy because we disagree. Um, th- there's this um, old, almost funny preacher joke. It uh, goes kind of like this. Um, there was a man walking in San Francisco uh, across the Golden Gate Bridge. He saw a woman, and he thought it looked like she might jump off the bridge. She looked very despondent, and so he ran to her and said to her, God loves you. And, and a tear came to her eye, and she said, well, th- yeah, thank you. I- Thank you for the reminder, because I, I do believe in God. And he said, oh, oh, good, that's good. Then he asked her, are you, are you a Christian, a, a Hindu, Jew, a Muslim? She said, I, I'm a Christian. He said, oh, me too, small world. Um, are you Orthodox, Protestant, or Catholic? She said, uh, Protestant, she said. Oh, me too. He said, what branch, mainline or evangelical? She said, evangelical. Oh, remarkable, me too, he said. What denomination? She answered, uh, Baptist. He said, oh, that's amazing. Me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptists? And she said, Southern Baptist. And he goes, oh, wow. I mean, this is, this is amazing. Me too. Hey, hey, do you read the King James Bible, the NIV, the ESV, or the NLT? And she said, I read the NIV. And he shouted, die, heretic, and pushed her over the wall. So, you know, the kids laughed. Everybody over here is horrified. Thank you. I'm glad you guys are here. That's, it is terrible. It's terrible. And, and here's, there is a point. There is a point to it. The point to this is this. Um, Baptists are, are bad Christians. So, no, just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you for laughing, Tony. Um, sadly, though, here, here is the deal, actually, because it, it, that little anecdote is kind of a picture that even though Jesus taught it often and very clearly, we uh, followers of Jesus um, manage to miss his point all the time about loving those that we disagree with, especially if there's a strong opinion that we have that's counter to what opinion they have. And sadly, um, so often we cut off and divide relationships between other Christians whose beliefs don't match up with ours, or, or maybe we don't agree with all of them. And so when we do that, essentially, even though we might not say they are my enemy, we are treating them, our brothers and sisters, as enemies, which, you know, is nothing new to our culture. This has always been a problem. It's not hard. You don't have to look long at stories from the early church and church history to see, especially once they had gained some political clout, we see many instances where Christians treat other Christians that they disregarded um, or disagreed with as enemies. The posture of they are 
wrong and we are right, so they are dangerous and must be denounced, cut off, and treated as heretics and enemies. And especially in places where church and state were merged, um, it was not unusual in the era, certain eras of church history for Christians to actually kill other Christians who they disagreed with on points of doctrine or theology. Uh, just one example, and, and we're only going to do one because there's lots. One example from the 1500s, um, views on baptism. Um, they were very differing views about what does Scripture teach about baptism. Uh, and there was a group of Christians um, in Europe during the, during the 1500s, and they believed from their study of Scripture that the Bible encouraged followers of Jesus to make a decision to be baptized as believers. They um, um, got the moniker Anabaptists, um, which is to baptize again, because people would be baptized as a baby, but then these guys would say, hey, as you get older, um, making the decision is what they believed was biblical. Um, but the problem was that went against what the state church was teaching, and so many of these Anabaptists were persecuted. Some were actually executed by other so-called Christians who were very serious about only infants being baptized at birth. According to um, Justo Gonzalez in his uh, church history book, he says more Anabaptists, check this out, more Anabaptists were martyred at the hands of other, other Christians in the 16th century than there were Christians martyred by Roman pagans during the first three centuries of the church. I mean, if that doesn't cause us to go, whoa. I mean, you think about that. It's staggering, and sadly, it's just one of many, many examples. See, it's not uncommon to get so caught up in the truth and being right and protecting the truth, so caught up in that that somehow we're protecting the truth, but we're completely blowing past Jesus' command to love one another, to love our enemies, and to pray for people who persecute you. And so, like, I just often ponder this when I'm reading through church history and stuff today. How do we, as the church, how do we keep missing uh, that Jesus taught us the way to live was to love our neighbor, to love your enemy, to love everybody always? Because apparently... From his life and his teaching, Jesus believed that loving our enemies was a crucial part in reconciling this world, and he trusted us to partner with him to do it. Um, you know, I, even in, in writing this talk, you know, I was kind of like, whew, I am glad that my sermons, at least in this series, are done, because <laughs> um, I can't look at this piece without wondering how it applies to me, and it doesn't take me long to, to do some self-examination to realize that um, there are times when it comes to treating other Christians who I disagree with um, as my enemies. Sometimes, sometimes I am guilty at that. I think I've grown, um, but I know I have not arrived on, on this teaching of Jesus because I catch myself doing it and excusing myself. So for me, um, just because I'm in it with you, this is not me up here telling y'all how to, how to do this, um, it's very challenging for me to think about loving my neighbor 
when my neighbor seems like an enemy, and then specifically when I think about people that I strongly disagree with on all kinds of different things like we named, strong disagreement. And so I have to admit that there are people that I tend to treat as enemies. And so um, can your imperfect pastor uh, confess this to you? Um, Not as a way of excusing myself, but hopefully as a way of inviting you to join me in wondering about how we can better follow Jesus together. Can we, can I put this? Okay, all right. I'm Shannon and Dalton. Okay, I got you too. All right, good. Um, so I, I, again, here, here's me letting you into part of my journal. <laughs> um, last, just like I did last week, uh, this week I, I wanted to just kind of let it go and, and see what came up. I uh, had to admit that there are, there are Christians, this is embarrassing, but there are Christians that I view as enemies because of differences in theology or spiritual practices or beliefs. So I can get mad at the early church and the medieval church for the way they treated people. But um, as I ask God to transform me, I have to own my stuff where I do that as well. And naming it is the first step of repentance. So here's just a short stream of conscious list that I just wrote um, uh, of people that I sometimes might view as enemies because I disagree with them. So here's one. Um, I disagree with legalists. Um, I disagree with those who preach an angry, judgmental, vindictive God. I disagree with those who insist that everything was mapped out and planned by God, even the most evil deeds and circumstances, because I think that that harms people's hearts when they experience tragedy and they believe God did that to them or that somehow everything that happened was God's will. So I push against that, sometimes see people that advocate that as enemies. Um, Sometimes I treat as enemies people that discount the reality of evil in our stories and the need for us to pay attention to spiritual warfare today. Um, Sometimes I treat as enemies those who teach that God created some human beings with the express intent of sending them to hell because they were not predestined or chosen Um, which to me sounds more like pagan fatalism than the teaching of Jesus, but I get mad when people, even though I know where it comes from, I I, I sometimes really argue and get irritated. Um, I I, I get upset with those who discount and ridicule supernatural gifts of the Spirit um, and say that they don't exist at all, um, or Christians who condemn divorced people, um, or Christians, especially leaders, who might tell abused spouses that they have to stay with their abusive partner, which I think is heartbreaking and not Jesus at all. Um, uh, You can get my ire up if somebody is anti-women in ministry. Uh, You can get my ire up if if, uh, someone attacks all men's ministry as unhealthy and patriarchal. Uh, Those who have dismantled any sort of sexual boundaries that God set up to protect and nurture our souls, but also people that have no grace... No grace or compassion for people who do struggle with uh, sex or sexuality. Um, I often can rise up and treat as an enemy people who serve as self-appointed doctrine police. Uh, Those who declare that a Christian's truest, deepest heart is still wicked and evil, that you have not been given a new identity. Um, I treat as enemies those who I think are spiritually abusive towards Others, um, or those who use pressure and shame and shoulds and guilt to get people to behave the way they want in the name of discipleship, that's just a little quick, that came out really fast as I was just writing. So sadly, friends, there's probably more, but I have to admit, instead of pointing the finger at Christians who don't get it, that it turns out I seem to treat people 
um, like enemies when I hold up that definition of enemy as my ill feelings towards someone I disagree with. And the next thing that happens for me and maybe for you when, when you name or maybe you even heard me name some of these things um, because just like the, the lawyer in the Good Samaritan story that was trying to trap Jesus, uh, I, I like to justify myself. Well, yeah, listen, hey, I'm right about this. Those people are harming and hurting others, especially when in the name of God, they're bringing a teaching that pushes people away from the love and grace of Jesus. That's my kind of justifying myself. And listen, whatever, whatever it is that we are convinced is the right position or the right side on any issue, not just even faith and Christianity, any issue, it's very easy for us to turn the people who believe the other side, we turn them into our enemies and we excuse ourselves um, into treating them poorly. And then we justify ourselves. But again, I get caught up with this Verse up on the screen from verse 29 of Luke 10. Oh, oh, I do just what the lawyer did. <laughs> Justifying myself and, and just like Jesus did with the lawyer here who wanted to justify his hatred of those Samaritans who had disobeyed God, made their own temple, blended worship of Yahweh with idol worship and persecuted the true Jews. Those were his excuses to justify himself, and Jesus does to us what he did with him. He pushes aside our justifications, and he calls these people that we disagree with for whatever reasons that we disagree. He calls them our neighbors and makes it very clear that he wants us to love our neighbor, to love our enemy, to love everybody always, no excuses, because apparently Jesus believed that loving our enemies was a crucial part of reconciling this world, and he's trusting us to partner with him to do it, and he didn't say <laughs> that it would be easy. He just said it would work. Now, this is the fun part, because I'm going to Keep it short here. Everything I just said also, I think, applies to, to uh, how we do this in our politics as well. And, and I'm not going to go deep into this. Christians, though, treating other Christians or even non-Christians who we disagree with on politics, we treat them as our enemies, right? Um, in fact, Christians, at least white evangelical Christians in the U.S., we have gotten a reputation um, for treating people especially those we disagree with um, uh, poorly. If we disagree with them on politics or social issues, we treat them as enemies. Um, and I guess we're lucky we don't have time to go into this today, and I bet our small group leaders are really glad that we're not going to go into this one for your discussions this week. Yeah, But let me just say two things um, about this. Um, just kind of touch and go, right? Two things. First, um, as Christians, we got to remember to put our faith filter in front of our political filter, right? Our faith filter in front of our political filter. Um, now, for all of us, that's sometimes hard for us to keep straight, but if we are followers of Jesus, we dare not allow politics to define us as individuals. See, what people need to see and notice first is Jesus, 
instead of our political positions and opinions. So, first thing, we've got to put our faith filter in front of our political filter. And then the second thing is, friends, we have to stay out of the culture wars that are happening in our nation and in our country. See, when the church enters these culture wars, as Andy Stanley says, the faith of this next generation is always a casualty when the church takes a leading role in the fray. See, studies have shown that young adults, um, especially those in their 20s and 30s, have left church in droves over the last six, seven years, often often citing, the reason they're citing is because many churches seem to have treated those that we disagree with as enemies to be mocked, name-called, and vilified. Uh, Andy Stanley says, the minute we, the church, enter into these culture wars, we have already lost. We've lost what God's called us to do. And what he's called us to do is reach lost people. Listen, The question, the question right now that unchurched people or lost people, whatever word you want to use, the question that people not inside of the church, they're asking, they're not asking if they believe what we believe about Jesus. They're watching us to see if we believe what we say we believe about Jesus. Right? They're watching. Okay, do Christians believe what they say they believe about Jesus, do we believe what we say we believe? Because they know, they know (laughs) that we're supposed to love our enemies. And sadly, while I know lots of you do this, lots of you here, you do this really well. Um, Sadly, some of the loudest voices in our nation that, that, that wear the label somehow of Christian they have lost that faith filter, and they only have this political filter. And with a political filter, we just make enemies of everyone that we disagree with. We disagree on that issue, you are an enemy. And the result is that we lose our faith influence with this next generation, because this next generation sees us if we argue and insult and vilify enemies we disagree with, if we do that in the name of our faith, they see that and are not interested. And I know the temptation to do that and have done that. I know that when I do that, I'm just like this lawyer in the Good Samaritan story, who in order to justify himself, to look for an excuse to not love certain people that he'd rather not treat his neighbors, I have to catch myself trying to justify myself because I'm right about this one. This one's important, right? And then I treat people with contempt or disrespect. But look back at the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus doesn't let that guy off the hook. And he doesn't let us, doesn't let us off the hook either. No matter why we see someone as an enemy, we are not, we don't get to be unkind hateful, dismissive, or rude, or insulting. We don't get to resort to name-calling, not if we want to call ourselves followers of Jesus. See, he, Jesus, expects us to demonstrate that we believe what we say we believe, that we've taken seriously these countercultural teachings of Jesus, the one that we follow. And we start by loving our enemy, loving our neighbor by loving everybody always. Listen, I I do want to add this. Um, 
when it comes to disagreeing on things, whether it's politics or theology or, I don't know, maybe not football teams, but, but um, some of you got that was a joke, right? Yeah. Some of you are like, yeah, not football, right? Yeah. Um, but when it comes to disagreeing on things like theology or, or religion or political or social issues, I am not saying that we are not allowed to have strong opinions. I'm not saying that the truth doesn't matter. I'm not saying that we never speak up and offer a different point of view, because there are times to speak up, but we have to be sure with that faith filter in place that we're not doing it the same way as the kingdoms of this world and and systems of this world by yelling and screaming and name-calling and disrespecting, right? And sometimes we don't say a word because sometimes it's just time to simply love other people right where they're at without trying to fix them, without trying to straighten them out. Like, like how do we learn to disagree, to have different points of view from someone else, even strong differences in our points of view, but how do we do that and still be respectful and not treat other people who disagree like our enemies? And I wonder if some of it looks like this. With living with that faith filter first, which means that we remember we are the people of God. And so we love people. That's what our people do. That's what we do. So we can disagree without turning people into our enemies. We can have a different point of view without always having to speak up and express it in some circumstances. Because... That's what our people do. We learn to love. We love God. We love people. And we love people more than we love our opinions or our convictions because we are the people of God. That's just what God's people, us who follow Jesus, that's what we do. That's what we do. You know, if we... um, Let me just read real quick part of that, Matthew 5. I am going to skip ahead, Derek. Go ahead and put that one up. Again, look back at this teaching of Jesus, Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it said, love your enemy, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And by the way, it was interesting. You know, today, like the most familiar verse to Christians today in the Bible, um, John 3.16 is kind of our, right? This was the equivalent of the John 3.16 to the early church. This is the verse that they all went back to over and over and over again. Uh, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, right? And so um, when Jesus does this, he talks about loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile. He's trying to give us an idea um, of what it looks like for us to do that, to love our enemies. But remember, friends, um, Jesus' teaching isn't just good advice, it's good news. It's good news. And Jesus didn't just teach this stuff, he lived it out. When they mocked him, he didn't retaliate. When they challenged him, he told thoughtful, sometimes humorous stories that forced them to think differently. When they struck him, he took the pain. And when they put... On his back, the heavy cross piece that he would be hung on and killed, he carried it out of the city to the place of his own execution. And when they nailed him to the cross, he prayed for them. 
So Jesus loved his enemies, and he asks nothing of his followers that he hasn't faced himself. Because Jesus believed that loving our enemies was a crucial part of reconciling this world, and he's trusting us to partner with him to do this. Worship team, will you come on up? As we wrap up, I'm going to ask you to do two things um, in response, kind of an interactive piece that helps us move this from just a teaching or an idea to some practical application to get us started. And that gives us space for God to transform our hearts. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Not quite yet. We'll give you a moment, but we will do this out loud together. Um, I want you to think about one of your enemies. Just think of someone um, that treats you maybe like an enemy or you realize that you act like that person's your enemy for whatever reason. Just So think of somebody who is an enemy. Um, I'll give you just a second. You guys got one? I can loan you one of mine if you're short. Um, just <laughs> think of somebody. Uh, picture that. Okay, so we're going to do this out loud together in a moment here. Um, I'm going to have you picture that one enemy in your mind. And then we're going to say out loud together, God loves you, and then you're going to say their name. And we're going to do this um, loud. Should we say, like, God loves you, you know, Bill, and I'm trying? Or should we just stick with it? Anyone? Yeah? No? There we go. God loves you, Chuck. We're having trouble on the worship team up here. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to do this. So now, do you have the name? Do you have your name? I'm going to turn my mic off-ish. Well, maybe I'll say it away. So you guys don't, don't start guessing my name. But, but we're going to say this. In fact, let's go ahead and um, stand. And, and let's just picture this enemy in our mind. And, and just let's say out loud, God loves you and that person's name. Can we do that? Like we're all going to do it together. Otherwise, we'll keep doing it, right? So, all right, here we go together. God loves you. Do it again. God loves you. God loves you. One more time. God loves you. So let's ask God to help us find ways to communicate that to them in practical ways. Um, Because to love our enemies, we're going to have to decide that Jesus really does know what he's talking about. When he puts this radical teaching in front of us to love our neighbor, even when we think our enemy is our, our neighbor is our enemy, will we trust that, that obeying him in this will actually heal families and heal hearts and heal churches and heal cities and heal our broken nation and heal our broken world? So will we choose fear or will we move toward love? And so um, here's the invitation. I'm gonna invite you just to put your hands up and open. Hands up and open in this receiving posture, and I'm going to have us pray something together, and in a moment, we'll, we'll pray this, and then we're going to sing together. But I'll say the line, even though it's on the screen, this is so you're not just, you know, but I'll say the line, and then you repeat it, all right? We'll pray that way. All right. This week, I will not let fear win. By the empowerment of the Spirit, I will love my neighbor I will learn to love my enemy and I will love everyone always. Let's pray it again. This week, I will not let fear win. By the empowerment of the Spirit, I will love my enemy. I will love my neighbor and I will love everyone always. 
Friends and followers of Jesus, this is the way of Jesus. Let's try it. Amen? Amen. Let's close by returning our focus to Jesus, the one that we love and adore who makes this possible.